Hey, it's getting tough out there. The rich are getting richer and the poor. Well, you know what's happening to us. It's time to see if we can't figure out a way to close that wealth gap with the man who's helped millions. See if he can help us today. Tyrone French. Hey, Tyrone, how you doing? Well, I'm doing well, buddy. I'm doing well. I'm just waiting. I'm ready for this second episode as far as, you know, focusing on closing this racial wealth gap. I mean, everybody knows what the problem is. But what are the solutions? How do we solve this problem? How do we get to the point where we're not picking up the, 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 the newspaper or watching television and we're hearing the same thing over and over and over and over again, looking, reading the reports? And, and that's what it is. There's, there's a huge. Every couple uh, of years, I'm in my 60s now here. When I was a kid in the 60s in Detroit, we had terrible race riots and a lot of effort was made to try and change policing, change opportunities, change the laws make a greater equality and opportunity available for all. And we made large headwinds, but didn't go away. And then along comes, you know, 20, 30 later, I'm living in L.A., and it's Rodney King, and it's like deja vu. It's all over again. Cops beating the hell out of some guy here and uh, it exposes all the same disparities between communities of color and the rest of the community. They live in a world unto themselves, and the rest of us think, well, we fixed that a long time ago. Barack Obama right. becomes president and we think, hooray, we've crossed a barrier. And instead, all it does is highlight again those differences, those persistent differences. They seem to be systematic. They seem to be entrenched. They seem to be something we can't move beyond as a society. And I don't know if it's our fault as a bunch of old white guys not allowing opportunity to flourish or it's the people on the other end not understanding how to take advantage of the opportunities are there. I, I don't know. Whatever it is, it's it's a persistent problem that lingers on and on and on. And we talked about it at length in the first episode, and you promised us some ideas on how to close this wealth gap, particularly the racial wealth gap that right. is big or bigger than it's ever been. Right. And and here's the thing, Paul. It, it's, it's baked into the system. The the disparities are really, are literally baked into the system. And it goes back to knowledge and education. Yeah, right. And again, in the 60s, you know, a lot of people marched and we're talking about civil rights and things like that. But, you know, in my opinion, 2020, it's about economic empowerment mm -hmm. and being able to understand just basic finance as far as, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people cannot stand the fact of, of, of having a budget. Yeah. You know, and this is going back to basics. Right. Uh, you know, can't live within it's, your it's, means, it's, right. you know, it, it's, you know, it's like wearing a straight jacket. You know, I got money. I have money coming in and now I have to allocate money for here and there and this and that. Um, but I'm telling, you know, my message to a lot of people is that if you have an income and expense, you know, you're you're running a, a business. You, mm -hmm. you may call it a household, a household budget. But basically, you need to start running your household like you're running a business. But, and but even though, I, I'm going to challenge I mean, you on one thing here, though, because I, I think I hear what you're saying and I don't disagree with it. But I don't think that, that that's isolated to one racial or ethnic or even economic class of people. I think I see rich people that are blowing every dollar. A very good friend of mine who passed away a year ago, one of my childhood buddies, the more he made, the more he spent. And he was always behind and he was always struggling and he was always had creditors. And no matter how much he was making, 100000 200000 300000 whatever it was, he just bought a bigger house, bought a bigger car and spent more money. It, it, you're it was, Paul, 
You're absolutely right. But the but the caveat to that story that you just mentioned about the friend, mm-hmm. he bought a bigger car, he had a bigger house, he had all this stuff. Whereas right. you know he he had stuff that he could use as leverage, and even though he wasn't disciplined in his finances based on his spending, he still had had acquired a lot of stuff. Yes, and Whereas he was able to leverage component, that. Right. They don't. A lot of minorities don't have a lot of stuff. They don't have a lot of capital. So can, let's break that down. Reserves that they can fall back on. Let's and break. Not, not only that, uh, in their household, but the report based on the uh, the survey of consumer finance uh, report in two, uh, 2019, what it was saying is that they can't even go to another family member. If they yeah. have a $3,000 emergency, they can't go to another family member or a close friend and get $3,000 because they don't have it. So let's explore that for a second. I did work a number of years ago when I was um, in a whole nother crazy business. I was in the bar and restaurant business for a while here. What a crazy business that was. And one of my specialties was setting up bars and restaurants. Very hard to get them approved by the city. Nobody wants another bar in their town to get a liquor license, to get a conditional use permit. And I found I was pretty good at that. So I started getting hired by communities of color, particularly here in Orange County, Asian communities, Vietnamese community, who didn't speak the language, who didn't understand the system, but had cash in hand because they were very good at accumulating, holding onto the money. They lived 15 people in a house, and they wouldn't buy a car or a house or anything, and they'd put all the money in a pool because they came from such extreme poverty in these countries. They saved every nickel. They used to say they saved 80 cents out of every dollar. Or maybe sometimes they didn't pay enough taxes or other things. But whatever it is, they, they hoarded money like crazy. And then they used that as to invest in businesses, bars, restaurants, liquor stores, other simple things, donut shops that, that didn't require a lot of language skills to run and were cash businesses. And they just brought in more cash, and it just – they were like ants. I said, I, I, this, isn't, this sounds terrible, but they, they were just constantly working to, to, to make more, to make more, to make more, to make more. And it was all about passing it on to the next generation. None of it's going to get spent now. We're going to accumulate this so the next generation is going to do it, the next generation, and by two, three generations, we'll be safe and we'll never be uh, in this trouble that we were in in our home countries where everything was taken away from us and we were impoverished. Okay, so this amazing immigrant story, and they, they literally, I, hoarding is not, a, not an over uh, d- difficult word to use. They would buy all these things. But they would but, accumulate a lot, of, a lot of savings, a lot of reserve uh, income. And again, that's learned. Yes. It's a, it's a learned behavior, and it becomes the norm for that particular group. So two things, uh, good and bad, from that experience, watching up close. Um, if somebody needed something and they had extended families, large families, Everybody, it was a communal aspect. You need money, Tyrone. I'll give you. Here's five thousand. Here's ten thousand. Whatever. And we're partners. And we're invested. It's all. It's not yours and mine. It's ours. It's it, they viewed it as one big enterprise. Now on the downside, because they were so conservative, didn't want to pay taxes, and they loved cash businesses, and they hid all the money and buried it literally in their backyard, literally, um, because they didn't trust banks. They had no assets on paper. They owned a donut shop, but it made no money. They owned a, uh, a nail salon, but it brought in nothing, cause, and therefore they couldn't sell it, and they couldn't borrow against it. They had no, and I was always trying to explain to them, you'd do better if you did it the right way and took these businesses. You wouldn't, you wouldn't pull as much cash out of it, but you'd have more accumulated, uh, which you always talk about, the family bank. You'd have more borrowing power. Right. But again, it goes back to that disparity, meaning that it's baked into the system. Because everything that you just said 
it, it, there's a trust factor, a, a trust issue in that. Oh, yeah. And True. a lot of people, you know, uh, a lot of coaches, you know, they didn't put their money to the bank because they didn't they didn't trust. Banks. They didn't trust. It. No, absolutely. They literally would not. When this one guy got married who uh, was kind of running this part of the enterprise, they were building these little bars and restaurants. And I was helping get him approved and liquor stores and stuff. He got married. Everybody gave him an ounce of gold. He had 400 relatives come and give him 400 ounces of gold. I said, what are you going to do with it? Put it in the bank? Where are you put he said, we literally bury it in a pit. I said, you've got to be out of your mind. You're going to take 400 ounces of gold and put it in a big hole in the ground? Why? We don't trust the banks. In our countries, the banks rob you and take all your money. I said, this is America. Well, you say it is, but, you know, so, so their culture trained them to work very hard and accumulate this, and it was all cash and it was all on hand, but it, it, it was ridiculously outdated for today's economic environment here. I, other communities of color act differently. They can't seem to accumulate any assets. And the thing you said in the last episode I found so interesting, it means their children start with nothing too. Right. And it really is, I mean, it really is a race. It really is an economic race. And you just put this suffix behind the word race, and then you have racism, mm. meaning that you'll get to the point where uh, the, a dominant society has accumulated all this wealth and then you'll get to the point to whereas I, I put it to you like this. Uh, I consider my myself as first generational wealth for my uh, for my my family. Right. Uh, my dad, who worked at Wonder Bread for 20 years, um, you know, he went to work religiously. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what he did. He got paid every single week. Uh, he paid his mortgage. He paid his car. He, you know, he had, had kept nice cars. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, he wasn't a wealthy man and he literally had to work. He had to trade time for money. And, you know, I joined the Navy. I learned to trade. I was an avionics technician, uh, by trade quality assurance, got out of the military, started working for McDonnell Douglas as a uh, quality assurance administrator. And I could not, I couldn't stand what I was doing. I mean, it just, it just, it there was something inside of me that was saying there's more to life for you just trading time for money. Yeah. Right. And I remember when I, I went to my dad and I told him, uh, dad, you know, um, I'm going to quit my job at McDonald Douglas and man, he almost had a heart attack. Yeah, are you nuts? Are you crazy? It's are, are security. Crazy? Yeah. Right. You got it made son. I wish I had the same opportunities that you had. And right. But it was, it was. You know, it was it was eating me alive. And I was making very, I was 25, 26 years old, making great money, mm -hmm. um, you know, but I just I couldn't live with myself. And so I started taking courses as far as being an entrepreneur and and I was pretty good with numbers mm -hmm. and I didn't know any better. I went to New York Life Insurance Company and said, hey, I'm here to work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to learn how to sell insurance mm -hmm. and got me an insurance license and they hired me. I was in, uh, in LA working on Wilshire Boulevard mm -hmm. and it was, it, it took me, it, man, it took me about six months of going through the training program to, to figure out how prestigious uh, New York life actually was. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, and and, so but you didn't just it, understand to get another trade one job for another. You started to understand how the system I began works. to understand how the system works based on finance. So the first time I went out uh, and was dealing with a client, wealthy client, I'm not going to get into all the background, but 
the only thing that they had to do was make a decision based on what product they wanted or service. Mm-hmm. Money was never the issue. Mm-hmm. And so they were able to take money and use that vehicle to make more money. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these things that we were putting in place were tax shelters mm-hmm. because their problem was too much money. Too much and I money, would go in, yeah. I'd go into the homes and or to the businesses and, you know, they were, uh, if I'm in the home, there's kids there. Uh, if I'm in the business, there's kids there or grandkids, because what they were doing is they were teaching them and mm-hmm. showing them this is how it's done. And when they passed away, and let's say it was an insurance product, when they passed away, we're not talking about a small policy that maybe paid 50000 100000 We're talking about policy that paid millions. Yeah. Right. And this is back, this is back in, the, uh, in the 90s when the estate tax rate was you know, around a million dollars. So their issue was based on, you know, how do I uh, uh, take my assets to where it's not going to be, you know, hit by estate taxes? I don't income. I solved that problem. The hmm. income tax, not a problem, but it's the estate tax because I've, I've accumulated all these assets. And so what they would do is they would pass down or a gift while while they're while they were still alive, they would gift resources and money and fight to their kids. So let's- and so even even fast forward today. Right. Fast forward today, uh, 2020. Uh, my daughter attends Cal State Long Beach. Okay, congratulations. I, if I wanted to, you know, I could literally. The tax code says I can give my daughter six up to sixteen thousand dollars as a gift, and it would be considered if it's taxable income for me, mm-hmm. but it's not taxable income for her. Mm-hmm. And so the reason I even have that information is because the foundation that I had with New York Life, whereas I was exposed to wealthy people gifting money and resources to their kids. Now, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to give your daughter $16,000? Well, it's not not the fact that giving her $16,000. It's the fact that what you're doing is you're paying. Back in the day when the estate tax was so high that the families, wealthy people, they want to be taxed on that money. Because right. back then, the, the, the tax rate was around 55%. So they dispersed it so during their life. You, have to, yeah. you had to disperse it. And you, so you had to get it outside of your estate. Right. So even if I bought, if I sold somebody a life insurance policy that was like, again, back in the 90s, that took them over the estate tax rate, they would literally put that life insurance policy in a separate trust so that it would be outside of their estate. Mm-hmm. But when I, my point is that there's a certain sub, uh, section of, of people in the United States that that's their lifestyle. They've accumulated so many assets and so much resources that they have to they have to give it away. They so, have to disperse it. So the question for today is why is there still such a disparity, not just between the haves and the have-nots? We all know the statistics. We've seen them. It's like 10% of the population controls 90% of the wealth or something stunning like that. It's a, a handful of people that control the majority of it. And how do you break through that? Um, part of it is through saving and living in a budget. Part of it and not spending every, if you make more, don't just spend more. Part of it is then finding creative ways to make that money work for you so that you're not trading your time for dollars anymore, but the dollars start to work on your behalf. And we talked about that in length. But this whole idea you're talking about today of taking that generational wealth, that's not a topic that most of us think about particularly, I suspect, in communities of color. They do in the Asian communities that I was talking about. They think generationally. But in African-American communities or Hispanic communities, I don't know that they think that way. You're just supposed to, I, I started with nothing, you're going to start with nothing. 
Paul, again, the, the number one, the number one wealth group, the highest wealth group in the United States are white. And the second no is, are, are Asians. Yeah. The third is Latino or, or uh, um, uh, yeah, Latino. And then, and then the fourth are, are black. Right. And so it goes back to a lack of, of, of knowledge, a lack of training, a lack of education. And then it gets, it gets into habits. And it becomes a uh, it becomes a behavior as far as once you get to the point where you're spending, you're getting you're trading time for money. You get your paycheck, and you're spending everything. What what a lot of people don't understand is that you get that paycheck. You worked forty hours or fifty hours or whatever it was for that money, and then you turn right back around and give it back to wealthy people. Yeah. Right. You give it right back. Yeah, you don't give it to somebody anonymous. You give it to somebody else who's got more money than you do because they own the factory. They make the products. They own the building. They, they whatever. And so the, so the issue is how do you break that cycle? How do you break it? And so a lot of people, they, they didn't break that cycle by just, you know, working themselves out of it. That they broke the cycle by inherit, they, they would inherit certain assets or it was gifted to them. Right. right. And so now they have they have more than enough. They have extra. And so because they have extra, now they can start to save. Right. Now because they have extra, the income that they're earning, they don't have to spend a hundred percent of that income. So now they can afford to put ten percent aside. When I was a kid, and I'm I'm a child, I was born in the fifties, child of the sixties. It was normal in our neighborhoods, I lived in suburbia, for a child to be gifted from about five on a savings bond or something we shot silly like that. Exactly. And I think, and my dad paid, I I don't know what, I don't remember exactly how savings bonds work or even if they have them anymore, but you know, you you put down a dollar and then some later it turns into $10 or something here. It had some accumulated, sort of like life insurance. You pay something now and then over time it has an accumulated asset value to it. But it takes a long time for that to build up. Right. And that was to give you some sort of idea of time frame and to get you in the habit of investing and having an asset and holding it on. Part of it was to get you started and get you going so that you got a little nest egg. The majority of it, Paul, was the mindset. It 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 was starting, getting that cycle started to where you understood, you now you have your savings, you're putting in a savings bond, uh, it matures at a certain date. And again, now you're exposed to money making money. Yes. And I give prime example. There was a movie called, um, remember Risky Business? Sure. A long time oh, yeah. ago with right. Tom Cruise. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole story and stuff, but what they were doing, his friends. Remember, how I, was, I was saying how, you know, there's certain, uh, let's say, you know, the study was saying that you, you know, they're fr- if you end up to where you don't, you need three thousand dollars. You can't go to your friends or family to borrow that three thousand dollars because you guys are in the same boat. Yeah, right. Look at that movie, Risky Business. Though, what they were doing is that they were trading in their bonds. They were mm, trading in bonds. Yeah. And so that's a li- it was it's subtle back then. And they're starting this. And they're starting this little business where they he basically became uh, a uh, pimp, you know, kind of. He's uh, getting girls uh, for his friends, and and he meets this prostitute, and she convinces him how easy this is to make money doing this. And suddenly he's in this risky business, and uh, having the time of his life, you know. Exactly. Now, because he lacked experience, he got taken advantage of. Right. 
but he still learned a valuable lesson and he ended up because he was basically breaking breaking norms he still ended up getting into a good university because of the connection that he made right so because let's the, let's let's dissect that cuz i lived that life that that affluent chicago suburban community that he was in that's where i came from those are the kind of neighborhoods i grew up in and saw that kind of thing and it was all about this long-term view, teaching in an early age how the system works, getting you to set some money aside, getting you to work and get an allowance to do something, have a paper route, save some of that money. They take you down to the bank when you're about 12 or 14, go through a big ceremony and have you open a banking account. And all this stuff they teach. And then it was all about getting the – you did this, you get into a good university, not only teach you a good education, but get the connections. They're going to pay off later in life. All of that story was my story. You're telling me that you grew up in an African-American community. That wasn't your story? Far from it. Far from it. I didn't, I didn't learn about money, uh, like I said, until, you know, later on. I was, when I was in the Navy uh, and I got a paycheck every two weeks, it was party hardy. I, I <laughs> was spent gone. as fast as it came in. Uh, not knowing, not knowing. And yet, that, your dad was a decent guy and worked a hard-working guy, like we we all admire, especially that generation. He provided for his family. He worked his butt off. Uh, he worked long hours at a modestly paying job, probably. Why didn't he say, "Son, don't do this. Learn whatever they're doing. If I don't know what it is, learn what they're doing. Don't do what I'm doing." Because Paul, you you can't know what you don't know. You can't you can't know what you don't know. So if you if you're modeling the behavior, if your dad modeled the behavior of you get, getting up and going to work, and that's what a man does, right? And get his paycheck and give it to his wife, then that's what that's the cycle that's going to repeat from generation to generation to generation. For me, again, because of my experience based on um, you know reading and going to seminars and and again you know starting to get an understanding of finance. I began to see that, you know, I can't work enough hours in the day and earn enough money to live the lifestyle that I want to make. So and, and to break that, that cycle, so my thing was, yeah. um, wow, do I get another job to increase my income? Mm, two jobs. And see, that's, you know, if you think that having two and three jobs to make more money so that you can have the lifestyle that you want, that's telling you that the, you're thinking is already off because it doesn't matter how much money you make. It has everything to do with how much money you keep and yeah. having that money start working for you. So say that, say that again. Cause understand that if you don't have a budget or if you don't have what I call a spending plan, you have to understand and manage what's coming in versus what's going out to whereas you can literally, it's almost like having a, um, a, a an inner tube. Mm -hmm. And you're putting you're putting air in the in the inner tube, and the air is being is going out of the inner tube, and you don't know where the air is coming out so, hmm. and, until you inspect hmm. it. Nice. And so, if you have any type of experience, what you would do is put air in the inner tube, and then put the inner tube in a bucket of water. Right, because you can and see the bubbles. Sudden, it will yeah. isolate exactly where the leaks are. Right, that's what your spending plan is designed to do. But I got to stop you there because you said something very powerful, and you race right through it. It's not how much money you make, it's how much you keep. 
It has nothing to do with how much air you put into that inner tube. It's how much air is going to remain in that inner tube for it to be functional. And then the second thing is now you got this money. Don't just bury it in the backyard like a lot of immigrants do in Asian communities, according to what I saw. Take that money and work for it. What's the story of the guy? Uh, tell this, the Bible story uh, quickly about the, the master who gives his servants some, each of them, some oh, amount of money. We're talking about the talents. Talents, yes. Yeah, I, my, I love not, that story. Not to, you know, I'm not a Bible scholar or anything, but I, I, I think I got the understanding. You grew up in a religious yes, household. Yeah, whereas, you right. know, uh, and I'm not going to relate it to, the, 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 you know, back in the, the, the day when, you know, you had the, the master and he had the servants. Right. Look at it as far as the employees. Right. You had an employer and you had an employee right. or employees. The guy had three employees. And based on their talents and based on their skill sets, he provided gold or assets for them for them to invest for him. See what you can do with this. Do, that's right. So the first one, and it says that he gave him the money, and then he went off. He stayed for a long time. In my mind, uh, the, the, the the number seven in the Bible is a, is a word is a number for completion. Mm, so and, and also that. in finance, you have what's called the rule of seventy two. And so you, what you do is divide 72 by the interest rate. And it's going to tell you how long it takes money, that money to double. I didn't so know that. What they, okay. what they did was he gave money to the first employee, uh, the second and the third. The first one, when he came back uh, after the Bible says after a long time, the first employees said, hey, look, you know, you gave me, you know, you gave me five talents and I turned around and I brought I turned it into 10. Right. And it's like, wow, well done. You know, now I'm going to give you more responsibility because I I, under, I see that you can handle the responsibility that I gave you. you something to the effect of you you uh, performed well as little tasks. I'll give you something a bigger task. Exactly. You know? He went to the second employee. Same thing. Was, uh, he gave him three talents. He turned it into six. He doubled. He doubled it basically. Right. The third one, he went and he said, "Hey, look, you know." You know, boss, I knew that you were a shrewd person. <laughs> I knew that you understood uh, residual income. You like generating income where you didn't put any any effort. I get that. So because I was afraid, which is a very important word. Keyword. Because of fear, he decided to take his employer's money and put it in something that did not give him a return. He buried it, basically. He buried it. He basically he buried it. But the, but the gist of it is that it did not give him a return. Didn't go down, and but didn't go up. Said, you should have taken my money and given it to the money exchanger where I would have had, my, when I came back, I would have had my plus interest. That's a powerful, powerful uh, principle as far as making money work for you. But this poor guy said, I, I wasn't very smart. I didn't want to lose it. So here, I didn't lose it. I, I held on to it for you. He says, I didn't give it to you to hold on to it. I gave it to you to do something with it. Absolutely. So basically, you know, um, at the end of that conversation, he said, you're fired, you know, and now he was, he was, you know, he was let go. And because he had no income coming in, the Bible says he was, you know, we had weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. But what that meant was that he had no income coming in. So therefore the brunt of the world was on him. And the more, the more of the story is, is, is that that money is designed to multiply. That's right. Don't just sit and hold it, hold it and give it. It's not like borrowing your coat here, hold my coat. And then when it's ready, give it back to me here. You got to do something with it. Exactly. So how do how do we how do we change this racial wealth gap? 
What are the you know? And it's, it's not. This is not rocket science. <laughs> it More must be because it's gone on for generations. They need to understand <laughs> that they need to become business owners. They need to become business owners because if you own the business nine times out of ten, you're not going to fire yourself. Hmm. You're not going to downsize yourself. And the reason people get into financial uh, distress is because they'll start their income, they'll accumulate a lot of expenses, then all of a sudden that income stops. Right. But that, but the expenses they continue on, they continue to go, and they not only that, but they continue to grow. Multiply. That's my story. If I borrowed ten thousand, it turns into fifty thousand when I stop paying it. I can't pay the debt. The debt doesn't freeze. It starts multiplying because the interest rate goes up. The penalties accumulate. Exactly, exactly. So imagine again, you didn't have you didn't have five thousand or ten thousand dollars in debt. You were living payday to payday, and all of a sudden your income, uh, you had a hiccup in your income. Now look at it as far as the bank and your bank account. Once you start bouncing checks mm. or you have uh, non-sufficient funds, the bank now can charge you. 20 25 30 35 dollars for that one transaction and can i offer something and I, again everybody listening is going to not believe this but my wife worked for a bank i won't say which one because i want to get her in trouble okay. she, she was a branch manager for a bank and i started bitching and moaning one day about i'd forgotten to pay something and i got an overdraft and she laughed she I, I said but they don't ever penalize me they just, i mean they they charge me a penalty but they don't slap my hand and say, don't do that again, or we're going to stop doing business with you. She says, because we love it. It's free money for us. Every exactly. time you you overdraw, we get to ding you for $20 or $30. She said, that's a huge revenue source for us. We, we imagine, hope. Not, not just one person, Paul, but imagine now they have a million customers. So they're hoping that you'll screw up so they can charge you more. And here's the thing. They don't even call it a loan because they can't call it a loan. It's a courtesy because they can't call it a loan. It's a ripoff so is what so it is. Thing, <laughs> if, they didn't, if it's not a loan and they provided a courtesy to you, then do you have to pay it back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those kind of courtesies. Thank you. And by the way, that's $20. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for so opening the do, door. That's $20. If you not to pay that courtesy back, now you have a record to whereas you took out you opened up an account with XYZ Bank and you you there was a deficit when you left so when you go to open another account can't do it. Yeah. Another thing I always it. saw is when I got to uh $5,000 in my credit card, first thing they said is you want some more? You want some more? Yes. Want some more? You want you like more like some more little candy there, little kid? And I'm like, "Well, yeah, sure, what the heck." And then pretty soon and then all of a sudden I'm using it and eating it and then I can't pay it back. And rather than them cutting me off, they said, we got a solution. Let's give you some more. Let's give you some more. We're going to help you out. And all they're doing is digging deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper hole. Well, again, here's, here's something that a lot of people can, you know, can attest to, but a lot of people just don't talk about because, you know, they don't, a lot of times when you find yourself at, you know, behind financially, that's not, that's not something that you want to broadcast no. because you want to keep up <laughs> no. appearances the whole nine yards. But here's yeah. the thing. Imagine um, uh, right after COVID, and this is what a lot of banks were doing, a lot of um, uh, credit card companies were doing, you could have had $5,000, a $500,000 uh, credit limit. And all of a sudden, let's say if you had $4,000 on that, on, on that account, on, mm -hmm. your, on your card, 
your limit is five thousand. Your utilization is still high, mm-hmm. but you're but you're paying your bills. You're paying that note on time. Right. So you still have got you still have good credit. What the banks were doing is that they were dropping. If you had right whatever you had charged on that card, that's what they dropped your credit limit to. Mm-hmm. And so now, you thought you had extra uh, extra thousand dollars. Now you got you're at your limit at four thousand. So your credit card is maxed out. And when you go to borrow some more money to pay off, because I need some more, suddenly they say you're at a hundred percent utilization. Utilization. You, you're a bad risk. Wait a minute. Exactly. I, I, I used to have a $10,000 credit limit. I didn't do anything. Now I only got a $5,000 credit limit, and it's fully used up. I need some more. Oh, no, no, you're a bad risk because you're using 100% of what you got. You used to only be using 50%. We'd give you more. Absolutely. And so now because your utilization is high, your other because you have this credit report, now the other creditors are looking at your credit report, and they begin to do the same thing and even though you've been paying on time yep. your credit score begins to drop now i'll give you another how this cycled because i went through the cycle so first in the great recession they cut my uh credit card limits and suddenly my utilization is up then i went to go lease a new car and i'd always had a you know i still had good credit what but now it's a little lower because i missed a few payments i'd struggle a little bit and not just the two together the lack the lower credit uh, rating because I'd missed a couple payments, combined with the higher credit utilization, instead of the car costing me three hundred dollars a month, it cost me four hundred dollars a month. Absolutely, same car. Absolutely, absolutely. I came home. I was shocked. I I thought so, I didn't. So I wasn't what paying we're looking attention. At right now, Paul, is the discussion that we're having right now is it. It represents 95% of the population that yeah. are going through that same thing. Right. And it's the 5%, the wealthy and the rich and the ultra-rich, that aren't worried about that. Mm-mm. That's not a problem for them. Mm-mm. But the problem is, based on that 95% of people that's going through that, minorities have it even worse. Yes. They have it even worse because now, you know, last, you know, uh, last hired, first fired, uh, yes, it's right. harder for a minority to get back on their feet versus uh, somebody that's white. Why? Because even going back to the report in the businesses, they can go back, meaning that they have uh, friends or family members that own certain businesses or have certain connections. It's like looking at college. A lot of times you're not going to college based on getting that degree. You're going to college, not yes to get the degree, but it's the network yeah. oh, that absolutely. you're generating. Absolutely. That's why you it's join the, the fraternity and you join the that club. That can put in that word for you or that, that can let you know, hey, you know, they're hiring over here. Or, you know, hey, we're going to st- we're gonna uh, create a startup. We're going to start a business from our dorm room. And now that like business a, like is a worth young guy named Mike, Michael Dell, dollars. like a young guy named Michael Dell did in the 80s or 90s out of his college dorm room at the University of Texas and turned it into Dell computers. Exactly. 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 So let me ask you one last question to wrap this up, and it's a, it's an unfair one because we've we've laid out the problem, we've laid out some of the reasons. Why does all of this multiply? with communities of color. Is it, and I give you some choices, is it just that's the way their communities always work, paycheck to paycheck, and nobody teaches you any of this stuff and you don't see it modeled and therefore you don't learn it? Is it just a question of, of, of learned behavior? 
Is it a question of education? They don't have the same educational opportunities to, uh, uh, to open their eyes and see it. Is it just a question of, yeah, that's fine for you, but we're just trying to survive because we're the last to get hired and the first to get fired, and we only get hired at the lowest jobs, and you can save money, but I can't. Uh, you know, it, what it, is it a combination of all that? Because there's some, it can't just be one thing. It's been going on for generations. We keep thinking this is fixed, and it doesn't go away. It's, it's not having enough, Paul. It's not having enough resources to fall back on. It's not having, it's not having a, a plan in place. Meaning that, let's say, uh, mom and dad bought a house, right? But mom and dad didn't do the necessary. Let's say that there was never a trust in place. Meaning that they didn't understand. They they held their property jointly, husband right. and wife, which a lot of people do. But Most let's say. Do. Uh, the husband passed away and the wife was still still alive and she never put the property inside the trust and there was never she, it was she was the only person on the deed mm-hmm. well when she passed away guess what the property ended up going through probate mm-hmm. and so now the family has to fight just to get the property out of probate when now you got court fees attorney fees and money that they just didn't even have and then like let's say nine times out of ten uh there was no life insurance. The life insurance wasn't adequate. And so now, because the person passed away, you got to come up. A lot of families have to come up with the money to bury the person when they were, they were already struggling financially. But what I'm hearing you say is not just that they, a lack of abundance, a lack of wealth, a lack of assets. That's part of it. And it's hard to accumulate. I get it when you're on the lower end of the economic scale, as so many racial minorities still are, unfortunately, in this country here. I get that. But there are those that scrape and save every dime. You mentioned Asians. I've seen it with them. That uh, my parents, out of the Great Depression, my dad was dirt poor, and he grew up, I'm never going to be like this again, and he learned to save and to work harder and to seize every opportunity to do everything. That rags to riches, Horatio Alger's story, they used to call it a long time ago. There, there, uh, some get it. And it almost seems like it's getting out of this routine that you've been taught. A cycle. And teaching yourself that there is a way to do it, even at whatever economic level you're at. I don't care where you're at. You can save a nickel, and you can put that nickel to work and make a dime out of it. It goes back to your community. If If you're growing up in a community where the abundance and prosperity is the theme, then that's what you're going to pick up on. And you, let's say even if you decide to reject that, you know, you, you don't, you know, your family had more than enough and you feel like you were privileged and, you know, you just didn't want to be a part of that. Well, let's say you decide to go out like the prodigal son, you yeah. know, and you get your inheritance and you go out and you go out and you spoil it and waste every dime. Right. When he finally came to himself, he was able to go back home mm-hmm. and his dad was able to kill the fatted calf, meaning that they had assets and resources. Mm-hmm. And one of the sons was upset because it's like, wow, he, he wasted his inheritance and he threw all this money away on women and all kind of stuff. And now you're going to accept him back in. It's like, he's my son. And so a lot of, a lot of people can come back home. They can make every mistake in the world, but then they can come back home. And then like resources, like a lot of, you know, you have a lot of minorities going to college right now, but they're getting out, they're taking out student loans to do it, Mm -hmm. which is going, taking them into debt versus a family and having an endowment at a university where it's already paid for or a family member is paying for it. Mm-hmm. 
you know, then you have, you know, they get a job, they get a degree and both people have, you know, college degrees, but now it comes time to pay for a house and the person that has all these loans, they got more debt. So they're, they're servicing that debt. So a part of the paycheck, when they're ready to go get a house and get a down payment, they can't save as much for the down payment. And then they're taking money to pay for it. Whereas versus family that have resources can literally say, okay, we're, Son, we put this aside to have this, this fifty thousand or this hundred thousand as a down payment for your house. Resources and communities give you choice. Make a huge difference as so, far as gifts and inheritance. But it also that's where it starts, and that's the takeaway from today: gift and inheritance. Think of the future. Think of saving. Think of the long term, not the short term. And you say to yourself, "I can't do this because I'm trapped in the short term." Then get untrapped, or reduce your debt and find a way to save a nickel, even if you're dirt poor. And get help. And get help. If you, if you, if you, if you know you need help, if you know that you're struggling, you know, and you, you, you know that you, you know, you want to do better, and, but you just don't know how to, do, how to get there, get help. It's like if you're trying to lose weight, you go to a gym and you find a personal trainer to help you to, to lose weight. And, you know, a lot of people will spend money for a gym membership and never use that membership. I versus did. versus some people saying, hey, look, you know, I'm I'm determined I'm going to do this and I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to get a personal trainer and I'm going to do exactly what they tell me to do. So I'm going to ask people you People are not programmed to do that with their finances. I'm going to ask you to wrap it up and I'm going to ask you to retell the story that you told me a while ago. You probably even met, you made such an impact when you told me this story. I've shared this so many times. You're an African-American who got out of the cycle who's made money and, and, and learned how to teach and is willing to show and teach other people how to do this at whatever level. You've done it for very wealthy people, and you're willing to do it for average people as well here. That's the whole purpose of this show here, how to close yes. the wealth gap. It, it isn't just, well, sorry, you're screwed because you're poor, you're black, you're this, you're that, or whatever. That may set you up at, at a disadvantage, and you may have to work harder and overcome difficulties to get there, but it's doable. The story you told me. You don't have to stay there. And so that's the story I want you to tell me about the elephant trainer. How do they train an elephant? They start oh. by putting the wire. Yeah. Because <laughs> wow. we're all you know elephants. I've forgotten about that. But we yeah, are they, all elephants. Yeah. It's at birth. They'll take, when you have a baby elephant, and it goes back to mindset. Right. They'll take a giant chain, a really thick chain, and they'll put that chain around that baby elephant. A mean, leg. nasty, big hunk and chain here. Yeah. That's right. And that elephant will do everything that it can to, to, to break away from that chain. But over a period of time, it realizes that that chain is not going to break. Gives up. So, so eventually, it just gives up. And, and, it, and, and it, it reminds it, it remembers the struggle. And, it, and I'm going to add this, too. It, the elephant remembers the struggle of trying to break loose. And so it, it, it stops, it quits. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, now the elephant is a full-grown adult. Because the elephant in its mind remembers the struggle, now all they have to do is put a small rope <laughs> around the elephant's leg that it could just, just snap just by moving forward or backwards. But it won't do it because it remembers that struggle that it could not break loose. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, that's... Isn't that where we all it goes are? Back to mindset. We're all we're all we're all uh, trapped by those chains that were put on us, the, those struggles that we experienced, and therefore that trained behavior. We're now just the trained elephant who thinks they can't 
break the chain, even though it's not, they can't see it's just a tiny rope. Yeah, some things that happened yesterday, you need to leave those in in yesterday. Forget about them and just focus on the present because your future is going to be generated in your present, not your past. Well, that's where we're going to leave it today here. The present was a good conversation. We went way over on the second one, but I thought it was worth delving into it and coming to some key points along here. And I encourage everybody to come back because the message of this is, and the message you keep giving me, is you can do it. You can do it. And you start to say, but, 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 I'm poor, I'm this, I'm that, I'm whatever. I get it. I'm not saying it's easy. The first thing people have to do is make the decision. They have to decide that they want to do better. Yeah, that you want to break that string and not see it as a chain. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Paul. Well, there you have it. It starts with yourself and the mindset you bring to this. You want to start closing the wealth gap? Believe you can do it. Take a step, any step. And maybe that step is coming back to hear our next show right here in Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net.